Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome along to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. News, views, and opinions every single day of the Premier League season. And we'll have a new show for you every single day as well. So hit the subscribe button. You won't ever miss one. As soon as a new show is released, you'll be notified straight away. And as always, as always seems to be the case during midweek, during this project restart, loads of football to talk about, both games tonight to preview and games last night to look back on, including what could be considered a damaging defeat for West Ham as Burnley keep their European hopes alive, Manchester City thrashing Newcastle by five goals to nil, Liverpool's first win on the road since February and Sheffield United taking a giant stride towards European football themselves whilst damaging Wolves' chances of a Champions League berth. Also tonight, Aston Villa take on Manchester United. Another huge chance for Villa, an even bigger one perhaps for United to reach the top four. Everton play Southampton and Bournemouth take on Spurs in another big clash there. My name's Niall McCorner. Alongside me on today's podcast, we have Jim Salverson. Hello, Jim. You're right, Niall. I'm very well, thanks, Jim. We've also got Alex Boardman. Hello, Alex. Hey, you Right then, let's not mess around because we have got absolutely loads of football to talk about. So let's start by looking back across last night's Premier League action. And do you know what, Jim? Just to get it out of the way, to put you out of your misery, so to speak, let's talk about West Ham nil, Burnley won last night. Yeah. Um, is it anything to be surprised at, first of all? It was Jay Rodriguez's header, and it was a good header at that for the 1-0 victory for Burnley. Underneath the uh, underside of the crossbar, a looping header past Fabianski that just trickled over the line in the end. But it keeps Burnley's European hopes alive. So Sean Dyche should be pleased, especially considering there's been a bit of a dispute between him and the board, if you believe the reports lately. But West Ham will have to sweat a little bit longer for Premier League survival, Jim. It seemed like a good opportunity missed last night. Yeah, I think it was. And I think if you looked at our fixtures, the last maybe 10 fixtures, you would have had a little circle around the Burnley game at our place and gone, that is one of the games that West Ham need to win. But thankfully, that was balanced slightly by the draw at Newcastle, the win at Chelsea. So you look at those three games and you go, well, four points from those three games, that maybe isn't the worst scenario in the world. And I think you have to look at kind of groups of fixtures rather than individual fixtures when you're struggling to get points 
on the table and need those points for survival. So I don't think it's an absolute disaster. And we have still got Watford, Villa and Norwich to come in our last few games. And you'd hope there was a win there somewhere. So I'm not hitting the panic button yet. I'm feeling more positive than I was three games ago about West Ham survival. But the game itself, I mean, it was a little microcosm of West Ham over the last 10 games or so. Sloppy at the back, dodgy defending and making plenty of chances but just lacking that little bit of cutting edge up front and failing to put those chances away 22 shots I think West Ham had in that game only five of them were on target but still that proves you're getting into the right positions it proves you're getting into the final third and you're getting possession in the final third it's just that little bit of finishing that little cutting edge that West Ham are lacking right now which could do for them in the end Unless Eric Dyer's in your team, in which case those 22 shots are all from outside the box and all over the crossbar. But that's a different <laughs> question. Um, we're talking about West Ham United here. Jim mentioned it there, Alex. There were some real good opportunities for West Ham. I know Antonio hit the outside of the post from a one-on-one. Seb Haller mm. came on and missed a really simple chance you'd expect even for a sub coming off the bench. So that poor finishing from West Ham cost them. How important do you think it will be for them if they are to stay up and maybe thinking towards next season? to actually find a bona fide goal scorer for them. Because if I'm right, Jim, I think the last time that West Ham scored more than 10 or 15 goals per single player in a season was De Canio, And that was ages ago. Mm. You know, if and you he think... wasn't an out-and-out goal scorer either. He, wasn't, he, was, he was as much a playmaker as he was a goal scorer. And it's a slightly crooked stat, that. And I've heard that stat before in terms of De Canio being the last player to score consistently. And I think he got 15 or something like that in a season. But there have been players that have scored regularly since Di Canio, not many. I mean, Arnautovic bagged fairly regularly, but he was injured a lot and came in halfway for a season as well. So, but his goals for games ratio wasn't bad. Dean Ashton as well. He had a decent <laughs> goals for game ratio, but obviously struggled, struggled with injuries. But yeah, it's been a long time since we've had that yeah, out Jim, and out goal scorer getting 20. Jim, you're talking about players that are made out of paper mache and haven't played for 10 years. I mean, <laughs> you can even put, end up at West Ham. <laughs> you can even put Andy Carroll in that category. So I'll throw that question back to Alex and just say how important is it that they do find someone they can rely on? Which is absolutely vital, um, I think. But I've, I've just been, I googled it before actually um, because I saw this uh, this stat going about, about the Di Canio uh, and some of the signings they've had over the last sort of 10 to 12 years, none of the players they've signed are out-and-out goal scorers. They seem mm. to they seem to go for players that are... I mean, Valencia's a, a, a decent decent player. Uh, Antonio was fantastic against Chelsea, but then he looks like he looked like a world beater, and then he just disappears again. So it's it's I feel a bit sorry for West Ham in the fact that yeah they they need an out-and-out goal scorer. So do so do clubs like Villa. Do you know what I mean? Villa, when they lost Tammy Abraham, different side to what they were last season. But when you're down at the bottom, is, is it a luxury that you can't afford an out-and-out goal scorer? And I, I don't know. I really just... I, I don't know. I felt sorry for West Ham last night. That lad that you talked about who came on with his first touch, mm. um, opened his body well, looked like he was going to score. But an absolute... To- even a, a decent striker puts that away with his first touch because he's only about six yards out. He'd only been on for three seconds, though. I don't care, Jim. First touch, but it's also... And he's been injured for, like, four months. I still don't care, Jim. You can't miss as a striker when your price tag's 45 million quid. You cannot miss from six yards, first touch or not. You'd expect someone on that sort of... of that calibre to put the chance away, surely. I have to say, if West Ham do stay in the Premier League and if Sebastian Allaire stays at the club, I think he... 
there's still a decent striker in there. We've seen enough flashes of him, particularly early in the season. He went on a bit of a scoring, well, quite a scoring run. I think he's got three, something like that. But he looked, he looked decent and he, he looked sharp at the start of the season. That kind of ebbed away a bit. His confidence went as the team's confidence went as well. I think a full season in the Premier League this year, a bit of building around him next year, and he could be the man for West Ham. The problem is there's been no depth this season. So if Sebastian Heller's not been playing, we played people like Antonio up front, who, like you say, Alex, did really well against Chelsea, but he's a right back. <laughs> I mean, he's not he's not a striker. I mean, you're not going to score goals with, with a... I mean, I'm probably being a bit disingenuous then. Maybe a right wing back. But yeah, you're not going to score yeah. goals with him. And him, him and Fournells have spurned so many chances over the last few games. You need a striker. You need a striker, and West Ham have failed spectacularly to recruit one this season, and that's been their undoing. But I have high hopes for Halal. I still think he, he could be a little bit of a, a Premier League gem. Seb Halal, seven goals this season, but didn't get one last night. Burnley won, West Ham United nil at the London Stadium. Plenty more goals, though, at the Etihad, where Manchester City thrashed Newcastle United by five goals to nil. Steve Bruce was forced into six changes. Uh, Alain Saint-Maximin was missing. Miguel Almiron was benched. Uh, so, you know, it pretty much cost Steve Bruce pretty dearly. Not that Newcastle have anything to worry about. They're pretty much safe. So let's focus on Manchester City. Now, this will be interesting to ask you, Alex, as a Manchester United fan. How much will the Premier League miss David Silva? Because I thought he was absolutely class last night. And do you know what? It shows the sign of a good player when you see rival fans on Twitter just lauding how good David Silva is and, and was and has been over the last 10 years or so. So as a United fan, I know he plays for City. I know he's been sort of instrumental in their success over the last decade or so. How much of a, of a player is he and how much do you rate him? Uh, I rate him really, really highly. There's a couple of City players that, as a football fan, you just have to really, really admire. And they're, and they're both the central midfielders, both De Bruyne and Silva, are absolutely magnificent, just wonderful, wonderful players. Silva's almost easier to like because he he sort of links everything up. He does the silky touches. He still works really hard, but he's less likely than De Bruyne to be at left back one second and then on the right wing five seconds later. Uh, but he's, he's he's just a player who seems to glide through games and he seems to have always done that. And he, I was watching him last night and it was what was so good about him was the way he brought every single player into the game and he just makes everyone around him better. Um, so he will be missed because it, it, talents like him... Um, they don't come around too often. I mean, the last one United had, uh, Bar Fernandez, that was like this was was somebody like Paul Scholes. And you look back to when he was at his peak and go, "Wow, that's now 15 years mm. ago." Um, so I think City, uh, uh, possibly, it's a slight problem. How do you replace Silva? Is Foden the ready-made replacement? No, but he's very, very good. Uh, and the same with Aguero. These these kind of players that when they come to the end, you you then realise, wow, they were amazing. And you struggle for 10 or 15 years to find a like-for-like -like replacement. We saw it at United with Schmeichel. We saw it with uh, Van Nistelrooy was another one. It's really difficult to just get a striker who can just score out-and-out -out goals the same way as Aguero did. So I think he's a, he's a great player. And he, it was good to watch him last night, but the game just felt a little pointless to me. It was... It was over within 15 minutes. Yeah, certainly Manchester City flew out of the traps. They were 2-0 up inside 20 minutes. It could have been more. Phil Foden missed a host of easy chances, which even for a man of 
his young age, just 20 years old, you'd expect him to, to gobble up. Wasn't the case, but they did end up scoring five in the end. Gabriel Jesus ended his long-awaited barren spell, Jim. He finally scored, I think, for the first time since January or February. So it's been a while, but of course, we've had lockdown in between that. So easy to get carried away with the statistics. I've said this on the podcast before. I think the comparisons between Jesus and Aguero are unfair because quite simply, as Alex has just mentioned, he's got such big boots to fill when Aguero does finally leave. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I mean, but Jesus is a horrible player, a terrible player. I mean, 19 goals in a Premier League season. What's he, what's he playing? <laughs> I mean, how can a player that scored 19 goals, not just in the Premier League, obviously he scored them in the Champions League, League Cup and whatnot as well. He still had a pretty decent return. And when you consider he's not been playing every single game either, and a lot of his appearances have been at subs, I mean, it's, it, it's difficult to really criticise him. Is he the man to replace Aguero? I, I don't think he is. But at the same time, I don't think he's quite the same type of player as Aguero. He's more, I mean, you mentioned Javier Hernandez earlier, um, Alex. He kind of reminds me of Javier Hernandez a little bit in terms of he's kind of that poacher. He's the archetypal Arsene Wenger fox in the box. So I don't think he is a straight replacement for Aguero. I think they will bring someone else in. But at the same time, that's not necessarily a bad thing for Manchester City because he provides a different option. He mm. provides an alternative way to play. And there's two ways of thinking when you've got your two main strikers at a club. One is you want a like-for-like -like player who, when you make that substitution, when you make that change, they can kind of just slot in and the system doesn't change. And the other way is thinking you kind of need someone else. You need another player who can mix it up a bit. Pep Guardiola is not the kind of man who's going to bring in an Andy Carroll. He's not going to bring in that massive target man and just ping balls into the box. So actually, Jesus provides that second option quite nicely for Pep Guardiola and Manchester City, I think. So let's not write him off. But is he the man to replace Aguero? No, and they will probably buy someone, if not this summer, with this summer transfer window is going to be weird, certainly next summer. Okay, well, let me just kind of play devil's advocate to that because he is only 23, which I think is easy to forget. He turned 23 in April, so he's still very, very young. And Sergio Aguero, when he joined Manchester City, had just turned 23. So we know what's happened with Aguero since then. And I think Jesus has got all the makings. If he can keep learning off Aguero to be, you know, a, a suitable replacement. I don't think he'll ever be as good as Aguero, but I certainly mm. think he's learning off the best. And, you know, I think his record speaks for itself, Gabriel Jesus, especially considering when Aguero's fit, Aguero starts. I just think he gets a bit of a bad rap. He isn't going to be the same, but it's like exactly what happened to David Moyes when he took over from uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, he was almost doomed to fail, wasn't he? Because he's taken over such, you know, the, you know, the holy grail of, of Manchester United, you know, being the manager of that amazing club. It was always going to be difficult for him. But anyway, he managed to get himself back amongst the goals last night. Newcastle thumped, but they won't be too bothered because they are staying in the Premier League for another season. It looks like Manchester City now just focusing on that Champions League tournament at the start of next month. There was a lesson there for, play, for teams that are coming to play Manchester City from Newcastle. And I thought, I mean, I don't know whether the six changes that Steve Bruce made were enforced or whether they were tactical. But I if they, they were, were tactical, enforced. oh right, well, let's go because it looked like the way they set up for Newcastle, they were going, we're going to contain Manchester City, we're going to try and stop them scoring. Which actually, as we know, for teams that come up against Manchester City and do that, they just get undone. It's not the way to play. You need some kind of outlet. You need to relieve that pressure, otherwise, it just comes back at you time and time again. That's exactly what happened to. Mm. Manchester City uh, happened to Newcastle last night, I thought. 
Especially when you've got Joel Linton up front. You may as well have one of those cardboard cutouts <laughs> from the crowd stuck up front. That was about the same job. Anyway, let's talk about Brighton 1, Liverpool 3. Liverpool getting their first away win since February. Um, not the sort of record that Jurgen Klopp would have wanted. I think it was five games uh, that they didn't manage to win or even score on the road. But they managed to score three last night. Mohamed Salah, the star of the show. Uh, Brighton trying to play out from the back and they made a few mistakes. You can't do that against Liverpool. But this again felt like another one of those pointless games, Alex. You know, Liverpool are still yeah. fighting for this points record that Man City got a couple of years ago, 100 points. And Brighton looked like with a six, seven point cushion that they're going to be safe. So it was always going to be the case that this one might have felt a little bit lifeless. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly the best word to describe it, lifeless. Um, the, the biggest sort of post-match reaction has been about... Uh, Soonest criticising Brighton the way that they, the exact opposite to Newcastle actually, the the way that Brighton tried to play it to the back from the back and tried to keep their game, just to keep the game that they play every week. Mm. Uh, and and uh, it's it's very very odd when you're coming up against those are the two best teams in the league, City and Liverpool, and the reproach the approach from Newcastle didn't work, and from Brighton at least they scored and they were the architects of their own downfall. So. I think Sunas is a bit, I don't know, disingenuous there when he's saying that Brighton shouldn't have played like that, just clear the ball. Uh, but as you say, Brighton, 36 points, and the nine points clear of Villa, who are the third from bottom. Villa have got a game in hand, but that game is against United tonight. So I think it's been a decent season for Brighton, but I don't know, what. it's just one of those very, very pointless games, wasn't it, that we've seen a few of in the last two or three weeks. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp won't want his standards to slip though, Jim, regardless of the fact that they've already won the league title and pretty much mm. there's not a lot to play for. Although Liverpool fans might argue there is a lot to play for still because that points record is still on. They need to win four of their last five games in order to, to claim that record. And Jurgen Klopp will want to finish the season with a bang. He won't be satisfied at just the Premier League. Yeah, and I think you can tell by the way that Liverpool set up last night and the team they put out, they still want those points they still want to break that record and I thought that there'd be a much more squad rotation going on with Liverpool than there is for these final few games I think to say Brighton kind of threw it away were over ambitious is a little bit disingenuous to Liverpool as well because I mean that's exactly what Liverpool do they encourage the other team to play out for the back and then they press them and they win the ball back and that's exactly what happened for Liverpool's first goal mm. for, for Brighton's part I thought they were actually pretty decent last night I think Graham Potter, since the restart particularly, you can kind of see the football he's trying to play. And if Trossard had been a little bit more clinical, they could have easily got a point from that game. So I think there was there was two teams playing decent football last night. I think Brighton could be a force to be reckoned with next season. I think they're probably maybe looking for a mid, if not upper mid-table finish if they carry on with this form because I think Graham Potter's doing a cracking job and as for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool they're doing what Liverpool do they are business-like and they are relentless and that will carry on between now and the end of the season and I think you've got to back them to break that points tally yeah there's always a risk when you play out from the back and that's your style that your centre-backs are going to make mistakes that's the 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 risk you take when you implement that style of football and unfortunately for Brighton within the first eight minutes they had made two mistakes and Liverpool were 2-0 mm. up the final score Brighton won Liverpool 3 Liverpool's points record chase still on Brighton 
well, they're not quite safe just yet. Not mathematically anyway, but it looks like they will be playing Premier League football again next season. Now, one team that many people thought might not be playing Premier League football again next season was Sheffield United because there were so many people tipping them to go down and be relegated this season in their first campaign back in the top flight for 12 years. That hasn't been the case. Chris Wilder has done a phenomenal job and they've managed to keep themselves in the top 10 for pretty much the whole season. Now, since lockdown uh, was lifted football-wise and football came back, Project Restart began. Sheffield United have had a bit of a, a rough time of it in terms of results. So, you know, they saw themselves slipping down the table and possibly dropping out of the European spots. Well, now that European position looks back on, Jim, because they beat Sheffield, Sheffield United. They beat Wolves 1-0 last night. That is a big result for them in the race for European football. I'm still <laughs> surprised constantly by Sheffield United. I kind of keep on expecting them to go out onto the pitch and play like a championship team and play like relegation fodder. And they continue to impress. They go out with a game plan and they execute it perfectly every single time. And that is why they're climbing the table. And it's why they will be in those European places come the end of the season. They'll be in the Europa places. Sadly for the game itself. I mean, this is the game I chose to watch on television and it was not a good game of football. It was two teams kind of nullifying each other. But I guess that is because they are similar teams in many ways. They're well-run clubs. They're well-set-up teams. There's a few little individuals within those squads that have have that little spark. But there, there wasn't much going on last night. It wasn't the most exciting game in the world. But Sheffield United, again, impressive. Chris Wilder, again, impressive. I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do next season now because if they get into that Europa League spot, they need to expand the squad. They need a bigger squad of players to cope with the relentless games that, as Alex, as a Manchester United fan, unfortunately has found out in recent years, the relentless nature of the Europa League, those trips to Kazakhstan on a Thursday night and all that kind of thing. So do they invest in a similar way to they have at the moment in this kind of really tight-knit squad? And I think they've made um, less changes to the team than any other team this season. I think they've got the most consistent starting lineup. I think I've read that somewhere. So do they continue in that vein? Do they invest in kind of bigger name players or do they keep on trying to find value in the transfer market and build slowly? It'll be really interesting to see how they approach next season because I think they can start thinking about next season now. Do you know what is a really good projection, in my opinion, for Sheffield United is take a look at Bournemouth. Straight up from the Championship to the Premier League, they survived using the same crop of players, largely. They even got them out of League One and there was a lot of loyalty there from Eddie Howe and his players have rewarded him for the last five years, but it looks like it might have been a, you know, mm. they've bitten off a chunk too much that they can chew at this stage now with their five year stay in the Premier League looking like it could come to an end. So I just think that if Sheffield United are to kind of build on this, they do need to build on it in the right way uh, and not take it for granted that the players that got you up can, can necessarily keep you up and, and keep firing on all cylinders because there is a chance that some of these players will run out of steam it's likely that it could happen so I do think that this summer is a big one for Sheffield United talking of um, this summer Manchester United will be waiting to see whether they're in the Champions League or in the Europa League it looks like fifth place might be good enough for a Champions League spot depending on what happens with Manchester City's UEFA ban but with Wolves losing last night they were Manchester United's closest challengers for a spot in the top four United are looking to gun down Leicester and Chelsea in those top four spots at the moment but losing to Sheffield United last night was a massive result for Manchester United, considering they've got a great run in as well, Alex. Yeah, it's, it's a running where you'd expect almost maximum points. I think the last day of the season is Leicester, uh, who currently are just above United. And if United were to beat Villa tonight, uh, Leicester will still be a point, still be in fourth, a point clear. 
Um, so it could go down to a very exciting last match of the season. But Leicester's form has been a bit erratic since the restart. And United, United just feel like they're absolutely on the up for one of the very, very few times since 2013. It's been about <laughs> seven years since... Um, not only the football's been good to watch, but it seems like everybody's happy. But also, you, as a game approaches, you're kind of looking forward to it, which is something that under Mourinho and Van Gaal you didn't always do because you were thinking, oh, we're going to get panned for playing negative football. We're not going to have any chances. You're going to go to a match and think, wow, we, we maybe hit the post and that's the most we've done in three games. Whereas now it feels like you might score three or four goals every game. Villa tonight, ordinarily you would have been very worried about that a couple of years ago. And, and as it stands now, you think, well, you know, even if Villa score one, we'll probably score two. So uh, it, it's all very positive for United uh, at the minute. So, yeah, really, all good. All good. Do you think that's I think all... Wolves have to give up on Champions League yeah. football? Do you I think, think that's it's, I think it it's gone. Yeah, I think, I mean, they have to focus on the fact that they have got Europa League football pretty much. They will be there next season. And that is a brilliant achievement. So let's focus on the positives and the fact that they have achieved that this season again because they were Europa League uh, this season as well, weren't they? Yeah, but so if they win that, they've Jim, managed if, to maintain that consistency. If they win that Europa League, they could end up in the Champions League anyway. So it's almost like a double incentive yeah, of course. for Wolves to, to go and be successful this season. So, I mean, if they win the Europa League, they, they could be in it. And they probably need that Euro that Champions League football as well from that point of view if they want to hang on to a few of their superstars because the likes of Jimenez and Traore, maybe Connor Cody as well, are certainly going to be attracting interest from bigger clubs and there's always that carrot of Champions League football that can help convince a player to leave. So, yeah, on one hand, yeah, I mean, Champions League football is really important for Wolves and their aspirations for a club. On the other hand, just staying in the race, just sort of cementing your position as a top eight team is impressive and you would say Wolves now are a habitual top eight team. Hmm. They're a good team as well, but they, they seem to suffer this year with the Europa uh, until the restart. When the restart happened, it, it was Wolves were in were in good form, and I think that's a warning to other teams, like Sheffield United, uh, as well. That you do it's a big squad game when you when you start having to play the extra games midweek all the time. And Wolves, I don't think were as good for the first part of this season as they were the season before, and possibly that was just to, due to fixture congestion. Well, it's creeping up on almost a full year since Wolves played their first competitive game of the season, which yeah. was a Europa League qualifier. So you're nearly 365 days ago and the season's still going on for Wolverhampton Wanderers. So you have to give them credit for still, you know, ticking along at this stage of the season. Anyway, Sheffield United won Wolves nil, a last minute John Egan winner for the Blades, giving them the three points, which is important in their hunt for Europa League. As for Wolves, it looks like they now might be out of the Champions League race. Time for a quick break here on Football Social Daily, but afterwards we'll be looking ahead to tonight's fixtures, including Aston Villa welcoming Manchester United to Villa Park, a bit of a dead rubber between Everton and Southampton, and a huge game at the Vitality Stadium where Bournemouth welcomes Spurs. Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. My name's Niall. I've got Jim and Alex alongside me and we're going to discuss tonight's Premier League action. And where better to start than at Villa Park where Manchester United are the visitors in an 8.15pm kickoff in the Premier League. It's another huge chance for United to gain on Leicester who are there for the taking in the race for the top four. As we've mentioned before on the show, they've got a great run in. I mean, Manchester United, even though they're not in the top four, 
still look favourites for a Champions League spot, Alex. I mean, even the most, you know, solid neutral must fancy United with the form they're in, the teams they've got, the players playing the way they are. I mean, surely this all points to a Manchester United victory tonight, does it not? You'd hope so, yeah. Normally, I would have been a bit cautious, but I, I think it is exactly what you said. It's the form has been so good. And it was good uh, two or three matches before lockdown. It's now something like 16 unbeaten. Also, we've not been beaten, I think, for 20 games at Villa Park against Villa. So all the, all the signs are, are very, very good. But just the, the general form of United feel like a one of the very few teams that are just on an upward spiral. City and Liverpool, obviously, have, have managed to maintain that. But everyone else around them, Chelsea lost to West Ham. Sometimes they look good, sometimes they look bad. Leicester, again, very similar. So I can't see anything other than three points for United tonight. Yeah, I think so. I'm in your camp as well. I think Manchester United have got this one sewn up before a ball is kicked, but that's even a, a dangerous you know, viewpoint to take as a neutral because Aston Villa, they just have to win, Jim. They have to win, especially knowing that Bournemouth's result would be in by this point as they take on Tottenham, which is another huge game down at the bottom. Yeah, it's just difficult to see how they're going to win. They've been so shy of goals this season. They're leaking goals at the other end. It's just everything about Aston Villa at the moment spells disaster it spells relegation and as we've talked about many times their one shining light is Jack Grealish but he can't do it all himself the little chink of light I think for Aston Villa could be the form at the back for Manchester United because they've got Martial Greenwood Rashford playing brilliantly as a front three at the moment who are never the most reliable front three but they seem to be banging them in right now but at the back Two of the kind of elder statesmen seem to be the weak link for Manchester United right now in Harry Maguire and De Gea. So you had Graham Souness laying into the pair of them after the Spurs game and then in the Bournemouth game last week as well. And this was completely overshadowed because Manchester United had a thumping victory in the end. But let's not forget about the goal that Bournemouth scored where he nutmegged Harry Maguire and then beat De Gea on his near post. And that was Junior Stanislas doing that. Not Lionel Messi... Junior Stanislas, who's a player that wasn't deemed good enough to play for West Ham. So, I mean, you have to kind of worry slightly about the, that pair at the back because they're not in the greatest form at the moment. They are great players, undoubtedly, and they will refine that form. But that could, if, if Aston Villa were looking for some ray of hope somewhere, and I know it's a slim slither of light, but that would be it potentially, that there does appear to be this slightly weak spot at the back for Manchester United at present. I think as well, Manchester United are quite blessed at this moment in time, knowing that they do have options if they do want to replace De Gea, which is looking unlikely by the tone of Solskjaer's press conferences. They've mm. got Dean Henderson as a possibility to come in. Um, Dean Henderson isn't going to accept playing as a number two, I think. He's proven his worth as a top-flight goalkeeper this season. So the blessing in disguise for United, I suppose, is that they do have replacements. Uh, Victor Lindelof did um, feel a little bit of a, a knock during the uh, the game against Bournemouth, so it's uncertain whether he'll play. Uh, Phil Jones and Axel Twanzebe could be possible replacements, but it looks like if Lindelof isn't to play, then Eric Bayer will be preferred. So yeah, there could be a little bit of a shuffle at the back for Solskjaer tonight, but it doesn't look as if he's going to change that front four, who have just been absolutely brilliant. Paul Pogba as well, uh, supposedly in talks with Manchester United over a new contract, which, Alex, didn't look likely at all, maybe even 
just before lockdown when we barely seen anything of Paul Pogba. He seems to have had this mysterious injury which has kept him out since maybe the autumn time. And there have been lots of discussions about the fact that he's not keen on staying at United. He wants a fresh challenge. Was that all just angling from his agent, Mino Raiola, to get a better deal? Or do you genuinely think he might have changed his mind? Now Bruno Fernandes has come in and pulled all the strings. Yeah, I think exactly that. I think he's changed his mind um, purely because he sees that the team is is on an upward uh, trajectory because it looked for so long. I mean, Pogba was was signed as the answer, as like, he's the great saviour. He's one of the best players in the world. He's going to get you back on onto the top. And he had a decent first season um, when he was sort of number two to Ibrahimovic, who was sort of the main character in the dressing room and the leader on the pitch. And now he's come back in and Fernandez seems to be the main person that you go to in the mix. He's, he's like a fantastic complimentary player, but maybe he's not a player to, to carry to carry the team so perhaps that's the reason he's happier perhaps Solskjaer's just making the atmosphere generally on a day-to-day basis more fun uh, not getting slated in the press every week and only being talked about for your performances that's probably another reason uh, also I mean really who else would have had him up until he came back and has played re- he's played very well I think but up until then I mean who's he going to go to would Juventus want him back there's talk of Zidane and Madrid, but you know, was he was he in that form? He, he didn't play for 12 months because he was injured. So I, I don't think his options are a little bit more limited than they would have been two or three years ago. So uh, I hope he stays, and I hope he can prove what a good player he potentially is. But um, I, I think United, he won't he won't do better than United for at least another season because uh, I just don't think anybody else really wants him. Manchester United versus Aston Villa, 8.15pm kickoff tonight at Villa Park. Everton take on Southampton in one of the earlier kickoffs. A little bit of a dead rubber between these two sides, who are both safe, Jim. Uh, at least you could argue that they're safe. It's not mathematically secure, but they're not going down, are they? Uh, but they did look real relegation candidates earlier on in the season, so you have to give credit to both Carlo Ancelotti and Ralph Hasenhurtl for how they've turned it around. Yeah, I'm finding it really difficult to get excited about this game. It just feels a little bit insipid, doesn't it? A little bit. <laughs> oh, meh. Good word. Not particularly. I mean, not not. Look at the way that Everton played against Spurs in the week as well. It just wasn't an, a team with ambition. It feels like they're kind of both on the beach at the moment. Southampton may be doing slightly better than Everton, but yeah, Hasan Hootel and Ancelotti have done a great job. Ancelotti has come in and completely steadied the ship. At Everton and it feels like for the first time in a long time they've got someone who can build those foundations and turn Everton into that European club that they believe they should be as for Southampton I think fair play to the board because they kept faith in Hassan Hootel when it didn't look like he was the man for the job it looked like they were heading for a relegation scrap again but I mean even you Niall as a Portsmouth fan you have to give credit to Southampton for sticking with him he's executed his plan perfectly and they look like it's the it's the the typical example of a, a team that's better than the sum of its parts at the moment because there's no individual superstars necessarily in that Southampton team but as a unit they are really impressive I don't mind Ralph Hasenhurtl, Jim, because he's absolute cannon fodder for Pompey fans because some of the stuff he says <laughs> after games is ridiculous. So after they beat us in the South Coast Derby earlier this season, he came out and said, I've never seen a, a better atmosphere at a football ground. Basically just 
piled on the praise for Pompey fans. So we've just got that in the in the ammunition bank at the moment. And also after they beat Manchester City, which you have to say was a good performance from Southampton. I'm not denying that. And they did get a bit of luck along the way, but you need that if you're going to beat a team as good as City. He came out and looked like he had just won the lottery after the game. And he was like, I couldn't believe that my side would ever get points here at Manchester City. I'm not going to lie. If you're a top flight club, I know that your chances are going into a game against Man City probably quite slim, but you don't come out and say after the game, I didn't think we'd ever win. I mean, that just goes to show the mentality of uh, of that manager and that football club. I think you're in the Premier League. As we know, anything can happen in the Premier League. So I do think some of the things he says after games is quite peculiar. The fact he came Isn't out and said... Isn't that just honesty? Isn't it just nice yeah, to have a little I, bit of honesty? I, I don't I like think that. so. I think, I, it's, like I think it's poor showing from a manager who come out and say, oh, the fact he looks so shocked. Manchester City haven't lost as many games in a season as they have this season for years. And so I don't know why he was so surprised. But there we go. Anyway, that's one thing. I prefer Carlo Ancelotti personally. He's still got loads of <laughs> he's still got surprised. he's still got loads of injuries to deal with, uh, Alex. Um, but again, it looks like in the summer, even though coronavirus might impact the transfer market, Everton will need to do again uh, a bit more business. It seems like what we've said about Everton for seasons and seasons now, and it just never seems to get any better for them. Yeah. Well, they did they, a couple of years ago. They did. They signed three or four players, and they just sang really bad players or players at the end of their career um, just going back to Southampton really briefly Danny Ings is someone that you've, you've just got to mention uh, when you're comparing him to I mean other teams that we've mentioned Aston Villa uh, also uh, West Ham he's got 18 goals this season Danny Ings and I think he's one of those kind of one of those signings that West Ham would have loved to have had him now retrospectively. So would a team like Villa. And I think he's been a, a big reason why they're doing averagely well. I, also, <laughs> I, I think your criticism of Southampton now is more Portsmouth-based than anything because they could have quite easily been in that bottom sort of five or six scrapping it out. And as it is, they're safe. Uh, and I, I think he's done a good job. Yeah, you're, I think, yeah. you're right. Danny Ings, is he's the sole reason for that though, isn't he? And I think without him, they would have been lost. But I mean, you could say that about a number of teams in the Premier League over the years. So I, well, I will where, give where you a due there. Still be without Obama Yank. Agreed. I mean, without mm. his goals, they could be in the. They could literally be in that bottom five. So it is vital you have a good striker, but they're just so difficult to come across, really. Yeah, absolutely. I do have to say that from an Everton point of view, talking about the transfer market, I don't think it's nailed on that Ancelotti is going to spend a load of money this summer. I think there'll be a couple of key acquisitions. But you look at the way he's approached these last few games, he's starting to give some of the younger talent at Everton a go, try him out. I think there might be an ambition at the club to maybe just maybe tighten those purse strings a little bit, get rid of some of the talent. I, I say talent, the talent that hasn't proved itself to be so talented and maybe kind of intersperse that with a few of the younger players because they've got a decent youth academy. They've got some good young players coming through. So I don't think we're going to see the same kind of spending that maybe we saw under Roberto Martinez. Okay, interesting. This one tonight, Everton versus Southampton, a 6pm kickoff at Goodison Park. The other 6pm kickoff and the final fixture for tonight is Bournemouth against Tottenham Hotspur. Big old game for Bournemouth this. Along with Aston Villa, they look to be starting to get cut adrift at the bottom of the Premier League table. Their five-year stay in the top flight could be coming to an end. No side has conceded more goals in the Premier League than Bournemouth of any club still currently in the Premier League in the five years since they've been a top flight club. So certainly defence has been an issue for Eddie Howe. They shipped five at the weekend. They shipped four before that against Newcastle United. Can we see a similar outcome here, Jim, against Tottenham Hotspur? For me, it doesn't feel like that just because of Spurs' inconsistency. 
I think we're going to see a similar outcome. I think, I mean, Bournemouth are gone. They're gone. They look just terrible this season. They look short of ideas. They were torn about by Newcastle not that long ago. And look how bad Newcastle were against Manchester City. So I think a top team like Tottenham, when you've got players like Birdstein and Harry Kane and Son on the pitch, if he can stop scrapping for a minute and put the ball in the back of the net, are just going to rip them apart tonight. I think the confidence is gone from that Bournemouth team. They don't know where their next points are coming from. You look at their fixture list after this, they've got Leicester, Southampton, Manchester City, Everton, all in their last few games. If you're in that Bournemouth team, you're looking at life in the championship already. And they don't seem, well, they certainly haven't demonstrated the fight they would need to get a point tonight. So I'd back Spurs for a win and a decent win in this game. No Eric Dyer for Tottenham. He was banned for four games yesterday by the FA after running up into the stands at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium just before lockdown in an FA Cup game against Norwich City. Apparently a supporter was getting into a bit of argy-bargy with Dyer's brother. So he legged it over the advertising hoarding. Spurs had just lost, by the way, the game. And then he legged it up the stairs and up into the into the sort of enclosure where his brother was being housed and kind of gotten a little bit of pushing and shoving. He's been banned for four games. Now, you think about some of the punishments that the FA have handed out over recent years for things arguably worse than maybe sticking up for your own brother. Um, it comes as a bit of a head-scratcher to me. Maybe I'm being a little bit too... Um, liberal here but I mean is that a harsh or a fair punishment Alex do you think four games for, for running into the stands well given the circumstances it does on first glance look like it's harsh because he was protecting his brother no punches were thrown for instance and it was just a bit of a bit of shoving but in lots of other sports mainly American sports uh, whenever a player goes into the stand it's happened a few times in the NBA it happened in college basketball hmm. earlier this year it's happened in American football as soon as you cross that line from it being on the pitch, the standard of care that the the league will always give to to the fans in the stadium is so much higher than if he'd if he'd have done that during a game, he wouldn't have he'd have probably got a yellow card for it, maybe not. Mm. Uh, but the fact that he goes into the stadium, um, I think that's what's unfortunately has weighed against him. And I totally agree with why he did it. I don't think he did it in a in a terribly violent way. Um, but I think the league's hands are tied a little bit because mm. it's that we've got to set a precedent. Yeah, sure. I mean, you mentioned basketball there. What's the really famous one, wasn't it? Was someone threw a drink or something and then it all kicked off? There was a massive brawl there's, in the crowd? There's literally dozens, <laughs> dozens of season. I think the, the most famous one was Ron Artest. Uh, and I, I think that might have been in a, in a game against uh, Utah. Um, but it, it happens. It literally will happen. Every two or three weeks, there'll be some sort of confrontation because the fans are so close to you and American fans are very vocal. And, you know, uh, if you're six foot seven and a five foot eight person screaming something at you, you just kind of go, hang on, what are you going to do about it? I am quite a lot bigger than you, so please sit down. That's probably what's going to happen. Um, Bournemouth haven't won in the league, gym since the 1st of February. As you said before, they look dreadful, but... If they are to put pressure back on Watford and West Ham, who are kind of pulling away from the pack, and with Aston Villa playing against United a couple of hours later, they just, like we say, and we're probably going to say this every game between now and the end of the season, they have to win. And they won't. I genuinely think that they haven't got enough, and I don't know what's gone wrong at Bournemouth this season, because they've followed the 
same blueprint they've followed every season. Maybe that's the problem. Who knows? But it's just not word, worked for Eddie Howe and Bournemouth this year. I mean, I think also what's going to go against them is they're playing against the Spurs team who also need a result. I think Jose Mourinho is kind of... There's a lot of questions being asked about whether he was the right appointment and whether... I mean, this, is, this has happened since he was appointed pretty much, but Daniel Levy's choice to get rid of Pochettino and bring in Mourinho because he doesn't seem to be able to get a performance out of that Spurs team at the moment, certainly to the level you'd expect. I heard a comedian the other day, a guy called Josh James. Do you know Josh James, Alex? You work in yeah, similar circles. Yeah, yeah. So he made a comparison. He's a Tottenham fan. He made a comparison. And he said Jose Mourinho was like Casey Price in terms of football managers. Ten years ago, you might have been, oh, I'll have a bit of that now. But now you're kind of, nah, thanks, I'll leave that, mate. Which I thought was a great comparison. His his what's the, his star has fallen. So I think he's got a real point to prove over the next few games. Because if Daniel Levy is going to open his checkbook and invest in Jose Mourinho and allow him to bring the players in that he needs to bring in, and we know Jose Mourinho likes certain players, we know he likes to spend money, then he needs to prove himself between now and the end of the season. So it's an important game for Spurs and Bournemouth, and if you're going to pick one of the, if both teams want it, you're going to pick a team to get the points, it's Spurs, isn't it? I still think Mourinho has got it. I, I do, and I don't know why. Maybe it's yeah, just me, me seeing it from... Uh, afar and thinking remembering when I was a little bit younger and seeing how good Mourinho's Chelsea team were and the way that he kind of took Inter Milan to that treble was remarkable so I still think there's some there's a bit of magic left in the old Mourinho just yet but I think it's just his own fault Alex he's kind of coming into failing clubs and that's no slight on Manchester United or Tottenham but certainly it's difficult for him to kind of come into a club on a on a level playing field when you've got this kind of back catalogue of success and you're coming into a club to try and rebuild yeah, and a back catalogue of success that was always built in the same way with really tough teams defensively and then three or four players who could just score lots of goals and who you'd bought for a lot of money. And United didn't fully back him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Tottenham do. Uh, but whenever he's had success, he's been backed. And I thought that was possibly a mistake that United made in, in the fact they didn't back him uh, last season and then a season later they go, and, they, they go and spend it on Maguire anyway and you think well Mourinho could have had that and maybe he would have been a bit better off um, it's interesting watching Tottenham now though because they are pretty awful to watch the fact they just don't seem to have any a joy in the way that they play and you've got some really good players I mean Son's one of my favourite players in the league but he's looked a shadow of himself Kane looks like he's lost a yard of pace and he He's not necessarily struggling in front of goal because he has scored a couple in the last few games, but he just doesn't look like any... Last season, or the season before especially, you just toss the ball anywhere up front. You think, Kane's going to get that. He's going to beat the forward and do like a shear and just score a wonderful goal. Now you're thinking, you've got to give him the ball like inside the box, and then he might score, he might not. And uh, I, I don't know what it is with Mourinho, but he, he just seems to suck the life a little out of, out of teams at the minute. Okay. I think he's a good manager though. Yeah, he definitely is. I mean, I don't think you can take away what he's achieved in the game. And I still think maybe he wouldn't have taken the Spurs project on if he didn't think that he could get something out of that side. Anyway, Bournemouth he against Spurs. He needs to Spurs. prove it now though. He needs to prove that he is still a good manager. It's getting to that point in his career where you're right, he has achievements as long as his arm and he's still one of the most decorated managers in football history, but he needs to prove it again at Spurs. This job is as much for him as it is for Tottenham. I think the point with Jose Mourinho is he won at Manchester United. 
but it's not it's not about what he won it's about the way he won it and Manchester United mm. want to win trophies a certain way now that sounds arrogant because many football clubs dream and go fans go their entire lives about winning a trophy but this is Manchester United you're talking about they're the most successful football club or one of in England so you know they are going to expect high demands they are going to expect trophies and Jose delivered them trophies but just not in the way that they were used to seeing so I think that, that was part of it and Spurs on the flip side haven't won a trophy for well they, the last time they won the league was 1961 the famous double and I can't remember the last time they won the FA Cup would have been 1990 something like that so you know they've not they've not won a, I mean Everton Portsmouth my team have won a trophy Wigan Athletic more recently uh, than Tottenham I think they won the 2008 uh, League Cup um, and since then yeah Pompey and Wigan have won trophies more recently than them so for Spurs I think it isn't even about the style of play which Pochettino was lauded for I think it is just about getting silverware under their belt which is something yeah, Mourinho will deliver anyway we'll have to wait and see what happens tonight's game Bournemouth against Tottenham Hotspur a 6pm kickoff in the Premier League still all to play for just five games to go and we'll have a new podcast for you every single day of the Premier League season here on Football Social Daily but that's it for today's episode cheers Jim thank you all thank you very much Alex <laughs> thanks a lot And we'll speak to you again tomorrow. Football Social Daily. Get daily news and updates on your team via your Amazon Alexa. Just ask, Alexa, open Sports Social. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.